Oh, mate. I'm, I'm definitely satisfied. It's been a, it's been a buddy. You, it's, it's such an awesome insight, mate, JC. It's cool. been really, really cool. Oh, it's been fun, guys. Appreciate um, your time. No worries, it, hope you uh, enjoyed as much as we did. It's not easy. I thought oh, this is going to be. What to expect? Is so it? Easy oh, to talk to you guys. yeah, sweet. I'd like like final question. Like Powderfinger aside, you personally, would you like to play with the band again? You're listening to Trade Mutt's 120 Grit Podcast, the podcast for the working class, hosted by Dan Allen and Ed Ross, the co-founders of Trade Mutt. If you're a fan of Trade Mutt's 120 Grit, we'd love to hear what you think. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram, or shoot us an email at admin at trademutt.com. In the latest episode of Trademutt's 120 Grit, we were lucky enough to have mainstay bass player and founding member of one of Australia's most prolific rock bands, Powderfinger, John Collins, in the studio. Having produced seven award-winning studio albums, taking out the top spot on Triple J's Hottest 100 twice, and playing to packed crowds all over the world, JC has ridden the highs and lows of fame and success. In this yarn, we cover all sorts of topics with JC, including gaining a look inside the band room, dealing with fame, the sacrifices that came with success, managing the relationships, the power of having a creative outlet and the importance of self-assessing your relationship with substances. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was an absolute cracker. Righto. You good? 100%. JC, you're sweet. Good to go. Good to go. (laughs) Engines on. Righto. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Trade Mutt's 120 Grit, the podcast for the working class. Nearly fell over that yeah, one. Yeah, didn't quite get that out, did you? Today we always have a special guest in, but today we've got a, a very, very special guest in. Um, Thank you. There's any number of ways you could be introduced, but uh, mate, as a bass player for Powderfinger, I think the fact that uh, Powderfinger outdid um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Triple J's Hottest 100 makes you a better bass player than Flea. Oh, so absolutely. I don't welcome wear, to I don't wear nappies yet either. <laughs> welcome <laughs> to the studio. Yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Cheers. Mate, um, this is um, yeah, it's a, a really, really special to get you in here because obviously it's not often that you get insight, you know, from uh, from the bass player of, of one of Australia's most prolific rock bands. So, And unfortunately, <laughs> we've brought you to Stanley Street. Yeah. <laughs> Not far from where we used to uh, rehearse and, and write, actually. Par- parallel to Vulture. Yeah. yeah, no, actually, we had two doors down also. Hoggy used to live here. Really? Yeah, on the corner there. So I knew sort of roughly where you were. That's where we Bullshit. played, played oh. cricket. Yeah, and right. That's where we, uh, I think we wrote Internationalist. That's very <laughs> bloody cool. There you go. Full circle. Yeah. That's awesome. Back in the hood. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this is going back. What, how, yeah. how long ago are we talking? Oh, that would be in 98. 98? Yeah, yeah 97, probably re- writing and recording there. We had a little studio downstairs, and that's where... Oh, he first had his taste of studio, airlock studio. So, yeah, uh, we had a lot of fun. We'd go and record, write, go and a bit of recording, play cricket at lunchtime and then go back and do another session in the afternoon. It was good fun. Jeez, that sounds like a shit time. We always... It was a lot better. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I knew how good it was. I didn't realise at the time. Oh, um, we always said we'd play cricket in our warehouse, but now we've yeah, got we, no space. Yeah, we've got space. This would be great, you know. Yeah. We've got warehouse and we'll be able to have a little lunchtime hit. Lunchtime hit. They used to throw some down and they used to put it in right in the nuts for me. They had they had the in-swinger to the balls going for me. Yeah, right. So what was the dynamic here? What are you, a batter or a bowler? I was a batter. So Bernard was a really quickie. He was a big quickie, so he used to just an extra yard of pace. Bit of chin music? Oh, a lot of chin music. We, you know, taped up ball with the tape and the in skinny swing. bat and in swing it to the nuts always the one I've never you've n- I've never perfected the art of making the tape stay on the ball longer than a no. couple of overs um, they, they went hard they went after me pretty hard yeah <laughs> good yeah good so yeah true true Aussie rock band just yeah. you know it's playing cricket in playing your spare time spend, yep there you go times. iconic so you were a uh, was it a Brisbane grammar yes Brisbane grammar lad mm-hmm. yep I was a boarder yeah right around the country 
for, uh, I think, from two, and then I went to boarding school at age of 14, and my parents then moved to Brisbane in the last year. So yeah, right. I became a Brizzo. Whereabouts you know, were, uh, were you before that? Boat Desert. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay, nice. So, yeah, it's grew up on sort of a... We weren't farmers, but grew up on a farm with a KX80, and I was, a, <laughs> I was an acid rev head and drove Kingswood when I was eight, you know. That's living. And yeah, it was good. good country boy. <laughs> yeah, paddock nice. used to camp out in the, in, the, in the forest and play up a little bit. Yeah, unreal. Mm. How, was, how was boarding school, did you? You know, it was pretty good in the end. You know, it's not great when you're younger. It's, sort of, it's pretty tough existence. It was pretty uh, way different from what it is these days. Like, there were some absolute thugs. Yeah. Like, you know, you'd see um, young kids getting beaten up. Yeah, you know, from grade twelve it was disgusting. Actually, yeah. Um, we thankfully, when our senior year, with I had a, a mate of mine who was a house captain, and there, as a group, we we took it upon ourselves to make stop that behaviour because you know it's pretty offensive. You send your kid to a school and they get beaten up by someone who you're not even supposed to be an authoritarian. You know, so yeah. So we changed it, and it was good and good in the end. I liked it. Yeah, it, so that's yeah, cool. Yeah. You don't hear that very very often. You sort of. Make a, a little vigilante group. Yeah, against just, the, we said this is bullshit. Yeah, this is you know, ask Marto. He, he would know all about it. So it's just those things. Marto was Greg Martin. He was yeah. He was he was boarding house master. <laughs> oh, was he? <laughs> so I've known him for a while. You're um, kidding? No. How yeah, so, good's that? Yeah. Anyway, no, we made a difference, but it was good. In in the senior year, it's great because you're at school. You know, I used to check out every weekend. My grandparents' place in Tuong, go to the regatta and yeah, nice. And so yeah, when you could cut your teeth, yeah, yeah nice. The arrow <laughs> used to stink back then. Yes, it always has. <laughs> What is it with that joint? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's just uh, never shut. It never, no, never no, gets never cleaned. Clean. Yeah, <laughs> they need to freeze the yeah, carpet yeah. or something. Those um, half-price spirits on a Wednesday, that's dangerous stuff. Yeah, do they still do it? <laughs> we, we digress. <laughs> we do digress. Um, was it, when, did, when did music come about for you? Um, I was always a fan of music growing up. Um, I was had piano lessons for a while, and then my piano teacher left town. So my mum organised a guitar lesson for me, and I was so pissed off. I'm like, no, I don't want to play music. I want to play rugby league. <laughs> and um, and the, the lesson was right in the middle of Main Street of town, so I was really embarrassed if anyone saw me going to have a guitar lesson. And the two guys, that are, one of the guys, are, the two guys that ran the place, they looked like Ned Kelly, had the big mountain beards, they were like bushwhackers, you know, into red gum and all that sort of stuff. And after that lesson, I just loved it. They were awesome. So I said, yeah, this is the best thing I've ever did. So I just started playing a bit of guitar and then, then went trundled off to boarding school and... Um, Kept playing, and the guy the next to me that moved, he came from Mackay. His name's Bish, and he was a drummer. So like, this is perfect. Got a guitarist and a drummer already. So we became mates, and then we started a school band called the Eternal in grade ten um, with some mates. It was like Joy Division, New Order. We were pretty shit. Um, <laughs> I was the worst electric guitarist ever. Um, uh, so yeah, that was, we did that for a while. Played a couple of gigs. Played played at the out not the, yeah the original Outpost when I was sixteen. And I was a boarder, so uh, the boarding house master said, just whatever you do, don't don't go and get pissed and don't wake up the headmaster. So I kept one of those contracts, so I didn't wake up the headmaster. <laughs> uh, and it was a Tuesday night, so yeah, back in by 11.30. And you know, and then after, after school, yeah, so we, I met Hoggy at school as a guitarist and we started talking. So and just sort of the, the eternal fell apart. Um, a couple of guys went off to interstate and um, started talking to Hoggy and Bish, we became Powderfinger um, straight after school. 
Yeah, right. How how was the first gig? How was your, your first gig? With at the, the outpost? At the atom- yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. It was scary. Yeah, uh, were you yeah. shitting yourself? Yeah, absolutely. 16-year-old, yeah. it would have been pretty intimidating with and all these pissed, you know. Well, it wasn't many people there. That was a good thing. <laughs> 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 with all, yeah, they were always pissed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was weird because the outpost back then was, a, um, there was, we think there was a casino upstairs, a legal gambling casino. It was like the hub of Valley in the 80s. It was you knew it was it was like what the cross would be like if you George Freeman and, and, his, right and his right in the guts it's there right in the guts yeah. and, you know the strip clubs next door and it was all yeah pretty seedy but that was cool that how was did cool you get thing. there as a sixteen year old like how did you even how was the gig booked uh, older older brothers drove us in cars and stuff like but that. I mean like how did you get the slot I don't know I don't know how we did that that's <laughs> I just turned up that's so cool yeah, yeah it was good it's good fun yeah and, right. and yeah we did a couple other gigs there on the weekends and stuff and Ian's band played a couple of gigs there as well so yeah. Um, it was probably a bit more relaxed than it is these days. Yeah, right. <laughs> very, very cool. And then, uh, and so, I mean, you, where did when did you meet Bernard? Um, so yeah, we were a three piece for a while, and um, Hoggy was at uni, and he met Bernard. They started going to this band called Bourbon Street. You ever heard of those guys? They do like Led Zeppelin, Neil Young covers. Yeah, right. And they'll play it like the coast and all that sort of stuff. And um, Hoggy was tailing into Zeppelin, so was Bernard. And they, they started talking of that and then they saw each other at uni and I'd met Bernard some party somewhere along the lines. He was he was about this he was half the t- height he is now. Um he was a little fella then. <laughs> and um and sort of knew him through mutual mates and stuff. So uh and then Hoggy invited him to come over to see if he wanted to play try out as a guitarist and said, Can you sing? He said, I don't know, I'll give it a go and sang. <laughs> and Hoggy said, Do you want to sing the in the powder thing? He came along and tried out. And I still remember the first day he tried out, it was Bitch and I and Hoggy were at the university when it was out at um, St. Lucia, university when Triple Z was out at St. Lucia and we had one of their rehearsal rooms and then I just bass amp and then Bernard sang. The first song was um, Like a Hurricane, Neil Young. And after about 25 seconds, I looked at Bitch and we went, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then my bass amp blew up and that was the end of rehearsal. So yeah, it was like, time to pack up. You're in. Sounds so you, you knew you were onto something there as a band, did you think? Yeah, you? definitely. I mean, he just had a different tone. That what, you know, and um, Hoggy was singing until that point, but we are a bit more, I suppose, a bit more three-piece thrash or something. I don't know what we were. <laughs> and um, But, yeah, it just seemed to, he seemed to have the right tone that we were looking, looking for. And, um, yeah, so we just started from there as a four-piece. That's so cool. So Hoggy, was he? Was that something he was happy to relinquish? Was yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's an accidental singer. Oh, yeah. To but think that Bernard wasn't confident in singing is pretty cool. It's insight. weird, eh? I mean, he it's didn't like, know. Yeah, it's good, though. It's, yeah. Know, I'll, I'll give it a go. Like, he didn't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's ever had lessons. Uh, he's had breathing lessons, but nothing. He's just got that tone. Yeah, I think lessons would probably spoil it. Yeah. Too, you know, yeah. Too, too perfect. Or it seems like you're all uh, sort of um, multi-talented, sort of. Oh, they're pretty talented. Yeah, <laughs> I just play bass. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, everyone's following the bass player, mate. Yeah, that's right. That. You need the bass. Bloody oath, yeah, you do. Totally. And so, so I guess you just started gigging around Brisbane as Powderfinger, but were you breaking the mould at the time? I, I'm not sure if we were. There's a lot of bands, you know, around the place like um, the Tellers, Toxic Garden Names, you know, all these, you know, um, Aloha Pussycats and all these bands. We're just all playing. Toxic Garden Names. Yeah. Oh, they were huge. It was awesome. Um, and we were just playing gigs at the, <laughs> at the, at the Orient and just wherever you get some shows and, um, you know, it was, yeah, I don't know if we're breaking ground, but we all, at least we're all having a crack. So, and then I think after that we uh, we thought we'd need another player to fill in some gaps, and um, so we we uh, have found Darren doing a, someone saw Darren doing a solo on top of a table with his mates around him. So, so we need that guy. 
So, yeah, Darren jumped from another band to join us as well. So, yeah. And then after that, we started getting taking a lot of rehearsals and taking pretty seriously. So was it something you – obviously, were you all at uni? Was everyone Yeah, at uni? I was doing some uh, – Darren was doing something different. Yeah, Hoggy and Bernard were at uni. Bish was living in Gatton doing um, something ag course up there or something. Yeah. And I was doing art. I was doing graphic art. And yeah, right. So you guys, yeah, obviously – were you guys working as well to supplement all this stuff going? Or were you getting yeah. paid with these gigs pretty no, early we on? No, not getting paid. No, no. it took, takes a long time to get paid. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think we're all working like just in normal Hungry Jacks and stuff between courses and that's what I was doing. Serving burgers at Tarragindi. Uh, <laughs> sorry, at Taringa. <laughs> Making ends meet. <laughs> Making ends meet, exactly. Yeah, amazing. That's a very famous Hungry Jacks, that it one, is actually, one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Some really cool people came out of there. Not me, but lots of <laughs> cool people. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, There's a lot of music. Music people used to work there. It was really a really? music hub, yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah, That's a Ziggy cool. lives across the road from there now, these days. Oh, does he? Yeah, just in the right. little grass patch there. Nice. A lot of famous people in Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, where, so how did you, uh, I guess, the rise of Powderfinger, you know, how did, it, how did it start to really sort of come together for you guys and, and, and look like you could make a go of it? Yeah, I think we decided, you know, I think at some stage that don't go to work this is your job sort of thing, let's go and rehearse. So we started rehearsing sort of four times a week at least and then we're travelling, we're doing every six weeks we'd jump in a car and drive to Melbourne or, or Sydney and play shows, just consistently keep playing shows every six weeks, trying to build up a bit of a following and uh, <clears throat> and just recording and, and tr- tr- we, wrote, we wrote a lot of stuff and then we recorded a, um, our first EP which was, uh, we put out in 91 and we played the launch at the, at the Orient and it was... It was the first time I've ever seen any. It was it was a great night. There was about three hundred and fifty people in the room, and there was about another hundred and fifty outside, just on the path, footpath, because they couldn't get in. And everyone's passing beers out, and it was like one big crowd. And it was that that was our record our album launch? So that is awesome. Yeah, it was a good night. Are people you talking were, the Orient? Yeah, where Johnny um, Johnny Ringo's is now. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, The drums, the, the drummer used to sit right in the corner, and it was what a location. It was, it was good fun. Yeah. So, and from there, I think that. We sort of then thought, okay, we can, you know, we got, I think, uh, you know, nothing, no radio play, but people started coming to our shows. We started having about, sort of, you know, five, six hundred come to our performances when we do it in Brisbane. So that sort of gave you enough confidence to take it down to Sydney, Melbourne and start touring. So is that the, uh, that I guess that'd be the only way you'd know, you'd be able to know if you had a following is if people just turn up because yeah. there's no... You have no idea. There's no play. So Instagram yeah. followers. There's no, there's no, no Spotify or not getting no. followed, nothing like that. So yeah, how were, were you just hoping that they'd just tell all their mates how good you were and that hopefully they'd rock up next time? Yeah, yep. one plus one is, you know... Word two, of mouth. You know, or you three, you know what I mean, whatever yeah. it is. You're just word of mouth saying, you know... Um, and then, you know, with that, you get... You get picked up by... Sorry, um, you, know, you get picked up by, you know, some of the music mags might put you on the cover and then that's really cool when you get that and... That's awesome. Then more people come. It's just that sort of so old how, school. So how were you uh, – so were you guys still continuing to doing uni or you just giving uni away by then? By then I think most of us given – yeah, around that we all sort of got sick of it. So how did you growth. how did you get uh, like your folks on side and everything like that to say, hey, look, me and my four mates <laughs> – we're, we're, we're forming a band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're ditching uni and we're doing be- – you know, we're doing music full well, time. But like, Bernard got excluded apparently and um, from journalism for plagiarism, <laughs> which he always thinks is funny uh, – <laughs> And his mother and dad, his, his parents said, okay, well, how many contact hours a week were you doing at uni? He said, okay, 25. Well, you need to be, when you're not in the band room with the band, you need to be in your room writing and listening to music. And he said, that's awesome. So he was pretty happy with that. We just did work hard, though. We didn't, we weren't those sort of guys who go, hey, we're in a band, it's cool, and we're just going to sit and bludge. You know, we sort of realised that we weren't good enough 
as five musicians to just to be go and make it. So we we knew we had to work extra hard. So we rehearsed heaps and we wrote a lot and spent a lot of time together. Yeah, I suppose that's a pretty important part. Is just you still got to. Yeah, it's not just a natural talent. You can just bust out when, whenever you've really got to put the time in. You've got to be lucky as well. You know, you've got to work hard and be lucky, I think. So, um, yeah, we just put the effort in. But my parents were really supportive. Um, they could see that was something I wanted to do. And, you know, you, we're probably 20, you know, 2021. 20, so it was what wasn't doomsday. Yeah. You know, it was still, still enough time in life. If it didn't work, to maybe grab some other career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What was the thinking? Were you thinking like, oh, yeah, like, like we want to be, you know, one of Australia's greatest ever rock bands, or were you just no. like we just want to play music, just want to play music and try to be as good as we can. I yeah. mean, we were never one of those bands that were so driven by goals. I think we we're really much a uh, a band that said we'll just take one step at a time. You know, sell out the Orient, tick. And next, we'll sell out sell out the Roxy one night. Let's tick that. Uh, sell out the Metro. We'll do it. You know, next thing on the thing, we just have these little goals, little little stepping stones. Not not one goal of domination. It was never that world. We're just. We're I don't know what we're not that sort of bite-sized pieces. Yeah, right. just because then you get lost if you're not if you don't make it. I think that you um, then you have to look back and say we didn't make it to where we need to be. You just we're just taking every you know, and it, along the way the career does you know can stall as well, which we did happen to us as well. So um, and that's when you have to dig a little bit deeper and, and use your resolve, which I'm sure it's probably something you'd like to talk about. Definitely, you know, yeah, 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 um, for sure. And that's one of those things. You know, I remember driving along the Hay Plain in '95 with had released our debut record, um, Parables for Wooden Ears. It was all right. It wasn't great. didn't set the world on fire. Um, some record companies might have dropped us at that stage, but um, because we kept working, they kept us on. And I just remember being 25 thinking, shit, I'm in the back of this shitty van on the hay plane. It's 48 degrees. <laughs> My other friends are in Europe. We've just got uni degrees. They're about to go and earn some money. I'm sitting here still eating, popping Chico rolls for dinner, you know. Um, but it's those times you need to, you know, you need to dig deep and and have that belief that you're doing the right thing because there was a lot of a lot of doubt amongst a few of us. You know? Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. You'd be mad not to. You know? Yeah. I think if you don't, you don't have doubt or um, think about those things that you you're just blind, you know, to what's going on. I think we had to dig deep and know that we had to look at our situation and and um, discuss it. You know, and we we were always one of those bands that just talked about things. We Never sick of talking. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was one of those things, you know, you don't know. And then there's that period of sort of like 94 or 95, a whole year of sort of vagueness of what, where we're going to end up. And then then you go and write a song, like pick you up, and it gets you out of gets you out of that doldrums. Next minute you're flying. You're not, you're not <laughs> driving on the high plane between yeah. Adelaide and Brisbane. Well, we drove from Cairns, sorry, Cairns to Adelaide one week, and then we've driven from Adelaide to Cairns. Oh. In the back of a can with, uh, car with no air con, no CD player. And there was no iPods then. That would really test relationships. It was so. very testing. Wait, very it, testing. don't you just all sing along? Like, yeah, don't you yeah, just like, sing your own songs together? And Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to the potato report on, on uh, ABC. You know, that's what we used to call it. Oh, you know, and man. what the price of potatoes are oh, as God. you drive through a country town. So, so yeah, you got well during those times when you're like, yeah, it's Shane '94, and then mm. you got a bit of self doubt mm. within the band, or you know, are we doing the right thing? Shit, what are we going to do? Um, what, what, were people around you sort of looking in thinking, oh, God, I, well, I don't know what these guys, are, if yeah. they're going to make it, you know, like Absolutely. people I, close to you and, you know. I, when when Bish left the band early on, he left before 1991 and then and my mates from school, they sort of bailed me up one night and said, mate, we're worried about you. Is, is this is this what is this going to happen for you or what? I said, mate, well, 
I believe so still. You know, but the, my mates were like that for all the way and they were talking to me. Um, at the end of the day, you, you can't – I think for me, I just had to sort of go, well, I, I believe in what we're doing. I totally – I'm not one of those sort of people, you know, who if you dream big, it'll come. That's all bullshit. I don't <laughs> believe that shit for a moment. Um, but you can be anything you want to be. Oh, <laughs> I'm that. a snowflake. Oh, jeez, I hate <laughs> that shit, Dan. Oh, sorry. Um, but you do – at some stage, you have to have self-belief. Doesn't matter if you're a football player or a cricketer. I mean, look at a cricketer. You know, if you're having a bad season, what gets you out of a bad season is having self belief mm. and and doing the work. Yeah, they've got to be the same combination. And and scoring bloody runs and scoring <laughs> runs that would help. Yeah. So I mean, we always talk a very much. A, I suppose I did particularly uh, a sporting analogy to our life and our band because it's it sort of the only way you could relate to a shit show was having a really bad backline that night. You know, yeah, like that. yeah, um, nice. You know those things because not every night you click. You don't know why you don't click sometimes. You know, I know that's another whole subject, but that's how we used to sort of talk to each other. So were you guys um, quite, you know, you're talking about the communication thing that you guys talked a lot. Were you quite honest in, you know, the direction and, and like this is what we want to go and do and collectively talking about it or we just sort of someone was making a decision and we'd all just go with it or? No, we collectively talked about things a lot yep. through our whole career. You know, even to the point if we had a, we had a bit of a break after one record, and before going back in the band room, we said, let's go over and spend a few days together just at Stratty. Yeah. Just talking before nice. before you sit in the room and, and go, what do we do now? You know, so we always talked about a direction and, and how we felt, what was our, you know, like for instance, after um, Internationalists, we talked about what were most, or probably the our best moments on that record. We said, why don't we play to our strengths on the next record and make it more like that? You know, we talked about these things and so making a big sounding record or, a rock and roll record in Volta Street. We we discussed that stuff. Yeah, so cool. And and everyone's got a different version of it though. That's where you got to find the common denominator. Is it what's your version? What's Cogsy's version? That middle ground. So, yeah. So, and that just comes with time and and playing and discussion. So we always talk though. Was there yeah. ever in in amongst the I guess the band dynamic like when you're sort of you know deciphering situations or you know was there sort of a leader amongst amongst the crew that was sort of mm. more kind of um the loudest people the people you, yeah 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 <laughs> i think I, there's a couple of, i mean five strong heads um I, i'd say bernard and cogsy probably the loudest you must have clashed a lot too we clashed right? heaps uh. yeah lots but just part of i think it's part of it's um, part of any part good relationship, relationship isn't yeah. it right. well especially working one yeah you know um and being artistic there's no right or wrong answer yeah. Necessarily. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't say you're wrong. Yeah. Because it's, it's up to interpretation. That's the, that's the challenging part there, there, isn't it? Because you're right, there is no right or wrong answer, but no. it's if you've got completely divided opinions, it's about finding that middle ground yeah. somewhere and just conflict resolution, I suppose. We spent, there was a few walkouts, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> we had some walkouts. But it, for us, it was, it was that happened a lot because, as I said, there was five passionate people in the room. There wasn't people just sitting there going, oh, okay, I'll do that. It was like, yeah. no, I'm... I'm doing it my way, mate. You don't tell me what to do. Um, so we had a lot of that, but you know, with that comes conflict, but also comes a lot of um, conversations around how we move forward and how we deal with it. Challenging each other a bit yeah. more. It just seemed like we had to reset the clock a lot. So, okay, let's reset the clock, and then you get bad habits again, you get annoyed, and sometimes you just had to step out. I remember recording Odyssey number five, and for some reason um, just felt really serious. In the studio, it just felt like we just. This is like if we don't make this work, we're fucked. <laughs> you know, so you know what I mean. I don't know where that crept in into yeah. our, into a psyche. You know, and Nick Dear, who produced four of our records, um, said, "Hey, follow us." You know, the American guy, let's let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go and yeah. have a drink. 
you know, let's go down the pub and have a chat. Because he just could see we were going nowhere. We but ten- was there tension amongst there yourselves? Tension. Yeah, 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 and I don't know why. Yeah. But there was a pressure we put in that ourselves. Happens, but that happens yeah. throughout, you know, everything, like families and just yeah. work colleagues and football teams. It, yeah, sometimes that just does happen. Yeah, we have it here at work. Same thing, just like, holy shit, right? we all need to just get out of here and breathe a bit of fresh air yeah. and, and figure out what's going on. Because, yeah, it happens quite it easily. Happens, it very happens mm. easily and happens a lot. And But we... Once we sort of understood that we can just step out, it was always a good thing because then you settle and then you come back into a calm place. And there's no yeah. there's no rush either. It's not like you're no, working no to rush. time constraints. No, there's no rush, no. I mean, studio's a bit different because the studio paying paying for the studio yeah. time, but not, not, not to the point where I want to stay here all night and get it right because at the moment... So there's all that point too with music. Um, when you overdo it, it doesn't make it any better. Mm. You, you start trying too start hard. Trying and, too yeah. hard. It's just... You can tell. But was it? I guess if uh, Odyssey Number Five was um, your next album after Internationalist, mm-hmm. um, and it went so well, did mm. you feel that like pressure to do do better? Like, be yeah, absolutely, yeah, better? always. I mean, also that we we also learnt very early on that um, not to, you know, you being from Queensland, you don't take or being Australian, you don't take um, compliments too well. I don't think you know. Um, we're in America, people going, you guys are going to be the next biggest thing. You know, just all this shit. You're going, man. I remember Ben and I got picked up to go and do some media and it was a limo with for 23 people could fit in a limo. We're driving to New York, just Ben and I for the day. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> True. Know, put us in a cab. That'd be fine. <laughs> you know, just like just go, you're eating $30 a pieces of sushi and they just start to really... So Pump we, your ties up. Yeah. And you sort of have to go, we had to regroup and say, don't listen to the shit. Just don't. Let that shit was get that, in your head. Was that something that you were trying to, yeah, maintain your, your personalities and just yeah, keep I on? Yeah, I think so. I just, also, just for working, you don't, if you start believing that crap, then you might get carried away with yourselves or something. I don't know. It just didn't, it just didn't feel right for us it, as, a, as five individuals. Well, that's, that's pretty good that it was the, all of you collectively doing that because it could have easily been a few people saying, fuck, this is awesome. Let's yeah. soak this up. And a few will be going, hey, we need to hang back a bit. It's good that it was a collective thing. I think you're just being Australian, you're a bit more sceptical about that sort of stuff, you know. I think yeah, yeah. The tall pop, you, know, you just don't want to be told how awesome you're going to be because you, you're not yet. It is a hard one. Yeah. It is a hard one to take. Like, oh, thanks. Hate what, it. What do you hate? It. I yeah. just can't stand it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Can I oh. have a piece of $35 piece of sushi, please? You know. Most expensive sushi you've ever had. I guess it's easy to understand how, because um, this is a, another yeah question around fame. Like it must be, how do you stay grounded in those situations? It'd be so easy to understand how individual artists or you know uh, artists could get carried away and just yeah, it's it's a weird one. I mean, I've never felt famous, so I still don't. And not being, <laughs> it's, not, it's a bass player thing, you know. You just don't feel it. I used to walk a few paces behind Bernard when we walked to a show, so I didn't have to talk to anyone. Um, let him soak it up. No. Um, Mate, I don't feel famous, and I think we're we weren't that band that was we're not going to we weren't going to um, you know, catwalk shows, and you know we're not in the new weekly. We we've never been that sort of those sort of dudes. So I think well, I think it speaks to the um, authenticity of the of the you know stage persona and just the band in general. It's that Australian style, I suppose. You're just yeah. kind of genuine, like we're just. Doing well, it. It, 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 it didn't help us out overseas. We had I remember one photo shoot in Denmark and the lady goes, can you guys just try to look like a fucking band, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what does that look like? Okay, so yeah, pretty annoying. We didn't look like a classic because we didn't get all, I don't know, just people just, we're just a band. Yeah. You know, we, we're not trying to be, we weren't trying to be rock stars. We're just trying to be musicians in a band. That, I think that's the difference between yeah. a rock star and what a music and band is. So 
we were interested in playing good shows, having a bit of fun, but also, you know, and writing. Uh, uh, our thing that made us tick was writing good songs. I suppose also uh, what was probably really powerful for you guys was the reasons why you were doing it. If when you, like mm. you said, you were trying to be musicians, you're mm. not trying to be rock star, and if yeah. by by byproduct mm. of just trying to be good at music, you know, just trying to be a good band means that you're trying to be a really yeah. good band that write good songs. That's that's what that's what really we're all about. Yeah, you know? and um, and I think the other stuff like you know didn't come naturally, didn't wasn't fun for us, you know. Going to the RAs and stuff was good fun, but you know, that's the only sort of time we ever really had to deal with, apart from on tour. And then when we're on tour, we're dealing with our people, our fans, and you know, people who like the, the band. But all that other stuff, like going out and socialising and being seen with the right people, just did not. And it must be even harder now with well, we touched on it before, like social media. But like, it wasn't like that no, then. It was just time, no. it was just no. personable back yeah. then, and you know, live shows and actually you know mm. meeting and greeting people. But now it's. You can't it's escape it. It's amazing sitting at dinner. I think it was a bar with Hoggy and I and Bernard having dinner with an, another mate. And he um, comes up and goes, I am a massive Fingers fan. Can I get a photo? He said, and, and Bernard gets a photo. He had no idea who Hoggy and I was. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like, can't be that big of a fan if you don't know the guitarist. Yeah. That's, that's that awesome. happened all the time. How yeah, good is that? You go, we just sit there and shut up. So I get the like the impression that like I mean although Bernard is the front man, you guys are like a, a very like in the band room I so, suppose so to mm. speak. Yeah, kind of very equal, very equal parts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, musically, yes. I mean, Bernard probably has a bit more to say in terms that he writes the lyric and does the singing. So, he, um, his if he's if he's coming with a song is uh, written on acoustic or something, you like to give him first bite of the cherry how, how you want it to sound or to his ideas because sometimes you go, I don't have a clue how I want this to sound. Can you guys just do whatever you want? And the other times you go, I had this idea, wouldn't mind making it sort of go this way. And so I, I think anyone who spends the time at home writing and writing lyrics and melody and, and music should be given the opportunity to portray it how they want to portray it first and then you go back and say, is that what? Do we like that? Yeah. You know, so it was, it was always amusing. We always changed. Like well, then we'd go and write in twos or threes in the studio and come back ne- and then cloak next day, see what we've got. Yeah, and right. Lot of, Split lot of, up and come back. Yeah. And, yeah. Lot, and some of the days we'd burn it, say, burn it, stay home, write some stuff, write some lyrics. We'll just go in there and we'll just sit there in the band, come out with about four songs of music, bits and music that we just jammed. So stuff like that. We're just always trying to mix it up. And, and that's why certain, it's probably why it sounds so different sometimes too. Yeah, some cool. of the songs. It's not all one one sound. Yeah, yeah. So. I suppose it's it's pretty uh, cool to hear that you guys didn't get swept up in all that hysteria and shit overseas. I mean, what was there a point though? You know, playing at the Orient here in Brisbane and stuff, and then climbing through to playing internationally. Was there a moment when you guys were like, holy fuck, we've got a bit going on here? Like we're yeah. actually. Yeah, like, this is actually happening. It's working. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit, yeah. we've got a bit on here. Yeah, but you know, like was <laughs> no, we're in deep. Uh, <laughs> we're in deep as. Yeah, I think for me, um, I think when we played the Crowded House Farewell, that was one of the times that you realised that um, we, we played I don't know, 130,000 people or something. They, I don't, no one knows the official number because it's free. But, um, and we had to fly out that night because they postponed the gig and we had a gig on a bar and we had to make that. It's just that when we got permission to fly out on our own plane and we had to go we, on our own plane, which is pretty cool. You go, shit, how'd that happen? And... Um, and the, we did a loop of the opera house and saw how many people were on. It was just and that crowd house just gone on stage. You went, oh, okay, this is all right. This wow. Is well, this is that was in '96, I think. So, so yeah, and um, that's unreal. I yeah, just imagine you're, you're all up against the glass of the yeah, one side of the plane, like. <laughs> and then we we had to go through a storm, land in Ballina in the middle of a, 
a, a storm right on the runway. We had three attempts at landing, with all failed because <laughs> the lightning hit the hit the runway. And we had to, and we were just we we'd started drinking after the show. And we were singing La Bumba, and <laughs> we just thought we thought we were going down. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. it's how all those movies are written, all aren't the, they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you feel? Did you feel like you say that? That's a massive gig. That's a huge, yeah, huge achievement. Did you feel like you belonged there? Like, or was it kind of like? It what did like feel good. I, I th- that's that's probably the reason. I mean, there was UMI played and Custard played as well. So Custard played, and then we, then we went. It just it did feel like, um, it felt like the right place to be. You know, there was, I got pictures of it. And just people knew who we were, you know, and knew our songs. So, um, yeah, it was the first time I think that you felt that. You know, we played with, we toured with UMI and you could see it was starting to, people, you know, as Tim would say, people started rocking up early to UMI shows to see you guys. And um, that's when it started to feel around that period, all that, that year. So um, it's a great feeling because it doesn't happen, you only get that once. You know, it doesn't, it didn't really happen like that when we started mm. you know, on a national level. So, um, yeah, it definitely felt great. And, you know, also having, getting paid, Mm, that would have helped. That's really big help instead of counting cars. Yeah, you know, you know, um, uh, getting paid, being able to buy a car, so, so you can get to so you can get to rehearsal on time, um, things like that. You know, just you know, bought my first house in '96, just stuff like that. Well, build a house, my first ever house. Um, it does make a huge difference when you're not driving from Adelaide to Cairns in the back of a car with no aircon, yeah, flying. So that's awesome. Mm. How did you, um, you know, obviously the high that you get from playing you know in front of massive crowds would just be indescribable i'd imagine mm. but i would also imagine imagine there's an equal low afterwards. yeah definitely there's, yeah, there's a bit of a low yeah i think i know you just go to bed <laughs> when you're low but you do get a high i always felt could never put my head in the pillow before 2 30 or something like that at night i just wasn't ready yeah right so um yeah you do i mean lows are probably you when you after a two you're so tired you just want to rest so you don't really necessarily get a low. I don't know about the low because the adrenaline stays high. I I'm not sure if I felt a lot of lows. Just lows when the things were shit, that's all, when when things aren't right. You know, and it happens – that kept on happening through our career. Like I remember being in in um, in uh, Italy playing a show to about 15 people. <laughs> this is this is horrible. What are we doing here? And I had – I had a – I hurt my back. I was being – I was taking Valium and Panine Fort to get through – and it was just like, what the fuck am I doing here? I'd rather, I, I shouldn't be here. I, I, be can't, walk. Down. I can't walk. <laughs> I, I'm laying down in the band room. So the band put me on, on a flight because we were on tour bus that time. That wasn't working for me. So they put me on a plane, started flying me around. And my back got better. But I just remember being fucking depressed because it's not always that good. And we're playing to 5,000 in Australia and we're playing to 15 in, in Italy. So what did they have you over there playing in front of that many people for? What was it? It was just mm. we got rec- we got released through V two in, in Europe, and that was just one of the places that yeah right happened. So yeah, okay. At least we can holiday there. No one knows us. Yeah, <laughs> bloody oath. So it must be like how do you how do you get up and put your game face on then in, in those times? Alcohol. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, just a few. You just got to. You don't really. You just got to. This is shit. I hate it. But also it. booze. I had. I for me. Yeah. Having a few beers. Yeah. It was the only way I could. If I'm not. If I'm not at home. Yeah, with my wife or um, partner, um, well, I'm going to try to make the most of it. That was the only way I could get it. Having a good time. Yeah, but not not like blowing out, blowing out, not yeah. like crazy. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, but like did it get like it must have? Because I mean, again, rock band, right? Like yeah. surely, surely it did blow out from time to yeah, time. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course, you have to. But never, to, but <laughs> like ever to you know ever to a place where it was like 
out of control or a bit like oh there's times it got a bit out of control yeah early on yeah you right. know, where you do a three you'd probably do you know we i remember melbourne did three nights in a row or three or four nights three nights in one venue in a row and because you don't have to get up and go traveling next day i mean we we had a wrap what we call a wraparound so what's a wraparound we just well don't get much sleep <laughs> so um and you know and go to wake like a wrap rider in the sun. Yeah, you just yeah, go. Yeah. So and you'd sort of rock up the next night and you get away with it. By the fourth night, you just can't get away. With it. like, and after that, I didn't do it again. I said no, I can't. I hated myself. I just actually hated myself because it's all you only got to. In those days, you only had to perform one and one and a half hours a day. Just make sure you're right for that time. And when you're not, you sort of feel really disappointed. You let your, your band down. So yeah. Okay. You feel like a bit of a knob. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, try not to do that too many times. So as with, um, like, if you look at your albums throughout, you know, throughout the career of Powderfinger, it, there's a quite a, a, an obvious sort of like a, a bell curve almost mm. in like, a, I feel like the success of the albums from where you started and then mm. Odyssey Number no. 5 was eight times platinum. Mm. Um, and then you guys got to, was it 2010? Yep. That's what we finished. And it was a bit like we've sort of, we've done, we feel accomplished, we've done. Yeah, didn't know what else we could do. Yeah. You know, and is that that where you... Yeah, like... We said everything that we wanted to say. Yeah, so like how, was everyone on the same page? Like were you like... Oh, not 100%. I think Hoggy particularly would have liked to have just said, why don't we just take a 10-year break, you know? Um, Originally he wanted to split up and not tell anyone until the last show. I said, well, if I was a fan, I'd want to know. Not coming back around again. Um, I was sort of a bit and bit of understood reasons for both. Um, I was open to the idea of not coming back, um, it, but it did feel like we had run our course a little bit. And I think you know, um, we had kids. Everyone had their own private lives now. You know, we, we're not twenty five. Um, everyone's got their own lives and kids and want to do things. And it it's really hard to maintain that through through a work environment as well and, and relationships so close that we that we had to run, you know. Um yeah, I I, I yeah. I wasn't wasn't all agreed, but by the end of it we were. So So you sort of timing. priorities kind of changed, I guess, life circ- like personal circumstances change and then I don't know, I'd imagine when you're twenties you're like, Yeah, we're gonna do this forever. Like yeah, this is yeah. we're gonna be rock stars Th- forever. Things just I mean, things like we used to treat each other so well but also the way we treated each other in term terms was really Quite crap in the fact that I know for my, <coughs> my wife had uh, she had to go back in hospital after a baby. I was and once you check your baby out, you can't take him back in because they're in the <laughs> so I no returns, no return, mate. You can't take him back. <laughs> Bye, beware, so, mate. Yeah. So I remember <laughs> not even being in the rehearsal that week. <laughs> I like it. Caveat um, emptor. <laughs> um, oh god. And, and having to go to the splen- and also had to book in a, a um a, what is it, somewhere that you get um, in, induced. Oh, yeah. So it could fit into with our rehearsal schedule before Splendor. Oh, you had to yes. book in your wife for the pregnancy to be induced. Yes, so that it didn't interfere with the Splendor rehearsals and oh, yeah. how far how far ahead of her like um oh, it was like a couple a week or two. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, just and then I think Bernard's wife had a heart operation, and he had to come back for a show. You know, just th- certain things we just started going. You know what? That's not cool. We we should be looking after each other a bit better. Than how that, do you so. have that conversation with your with your wife? Like I've no, got well it. Yeah. It's probably out of your control because it it's is. it'd be the promoters and shit. Like you What's guys have got a contract; you're supposed to be go, here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so I mean, when I when I got married, I had second phone call was to my manager to see what when can I get married. You know, when's a good time? 
And I then, yeah, fine. and then we were supposed to go back into a tour. Came up, and he he rang me about six weeks later after the invitations gone. And said, "Mate, we might have to um, reschedule your wedding." He said, "Why? We're we going back to America." He said, "Well, you can ring my parent, uh, my parents, and my wife's parents, and, and take care of that." Explain that, yeah. And we didn't end up going because September 11 happened. But like, that's how much that's how much we gave up. And like, it's we. That's where I talk about the sporting person. You know, if you're an Australian cricket team, you you, you work you work around those things. And stuff. How are you? Uh, how are you managing? Um, you know yourselves. Like, how were you looking after yourselves in those early days? Like, or was it sort of, yeah, we're rock stars. We'll just yeah work till you know two thirty in the morning, get on the beers, pass out, get bit, up and do it again. Bit of that, and just on. hungry yeah. jacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, all that. Sort of Where stuff, stars right? are made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Drink mm. um, Yeah, that was pretty much. But we had management. But management doesn't. It's not their job to look after you and put you in bed. Yeah. It's your, your responsibility to look after each other. So it was sort of a maturing of age type thing or mm. where you got to a point where like, holy fuck, well, we've got to really start looking after ourselves here? Yeah. Definitely when you, you start selling tickets for, you know, just under somewhere like $80, mm. your responsibility is the person coming along who's paid the money. So yeah. You, you've got to go. Bit of front you, up you here. You've got to go. You've got to give them what they paid for because they're not going to come back if you don't. And yeah. And, you know, that's, that's I suppose, how we, that's how we used to think about things, you know. Um, just don't be... We're not fifth, we're not twenty one anymore and playing in a s- small bar yep. at, at ten bucks or five bucks a head. So, um, did you guys get negative media throughout your career, like through in in the UK? Yeah, it's great. Oh, for yeah, just hate us. I really? Hate, Why? Yeah. Well, the UK we think I mean, just because you're Aussies. Yeah, Aussies, yeah. and because they don't like they don't like bands coming over that've been discovered. The NME they like discovering bands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best one I, I remember is that um, two hundred years ago we sent our worst. To Australia, and they send us this shit back. <laughs> it's like, it's like, really? Fucking yeah. get that, yeah. India. Yeah. We loved it. So like, they want to discover bands and be like, look here, this is what we've got. Whereas you guys are coming over saying, all, hey, all fuck polished, yeah. ready yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it was, yeah, they didn't like us. Media in Australia, pretty good, I think. Um, by Brisbane media is probably better than Queensland. They're going to be pretty friendly they on you. Pretty friendly on yeah. us. So yeah, homegrown boys. Yeah. No, we had a pretty good run with media. I won't complain about that. Yeah. What about um, you know you know talking about managing um, yeah I suppose your nutrition and everything like that but how about yeah like your mental state like how are you managing um, both individually and, and on a band sense of like keeping each other all on the same level and mm. checking in with each other or was it sort of just we all seem pretty fine just keep cracking along with it I suppose it's those nights off that you sort of or the late night like Hoggy and I be, you know we're pretty good mates well. Are good mates and the whole band, but we used to hang out after the shows, grab a bottle of wine, go to the hotel room, sit, just you know, whatever might be us two and a couple of other guys in the crew, whatever. But th- that was time for us to discuss anything negative, yeah, well okay. sometimes. And, um, and you know, it was just those nights going out, going to have dinner, um, on a night off, get the team together and going to have dinner and, and to have something, um, positive instead of just always working and working and positive experiences on tour is a really good thing that aren't that talking about just being gigs and drinking booze afterwards in hotel rooms, but just chilling out. And so talking. trying to pull yourself out of that sort of rat race type. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's and talk to friends, you know, sometimes just, I, you know, we all had, most of us had partners. Yeah. Um, through their career. So was it hard managing like, yeah, your partners, that would have been a nightmare mm. too, being on the road. Wasn't much fun. No. So, but um, yeah, those days that was even before mobile. So it was pretty down, <laughs> we were down there in the, in the pay phones and stuff like that. It was pretty weird. So do you get to that point where it was like, it goes from being, yeah, we're like a, a band making music to it's work. And it's like, oh, shit, we're going to work again. Here we go. We're on the road. And like yeah, but it's 
Yeah, you try not to make it too much work because that's the thing when the one wonderful thing about being in a band is it is work, but it's a, it's a good job. You know, we're not digging holes, no offence to the guys out there doing it, but it's a lot easier than probably doing that, I'd imagine. So, I'll shoot you. Yeah. You've, you've got to... You've got to <laughs> dug a few. Dug a few. But you've got to embrace that, you know, um, and make sure you realise that you are in a good position. You are a lucky person. You're doing something you love. That's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the bottom line. You're doing something you love. So... It, at times it became too much work. That's when we have to pull it out of that way and try to make it fun again. So, oh, oh, no, I've got a question about, you know, when you really you guys really started to make it, and I suppose the money started to really flow in, right? How, how were you guys set up to manage, you know, yourselves financially? You know, was it something where you were, when it first started off, it's like, you know, people that get into FIFO work, for instance, like they're on high salary and then they've, mm. fuck, they've got the, they got the new car and they got the jet ski mm. and they got the boat and they're going on swanky holidays. Like, were you guys managed to sort of buy your manager and saying, "Hey, yeah, look, guys. definitely." Our manager was really hands on and brought in um, an accountant from a company early on. We all sort of saw and set up companies and all that sort of stuff. And that uh, that accountant now works in the company. Was brought in as an in house for for our manager's company, his group. Yeah, um, and still to this day, you know, and. And you know, we, we were brought into a couple of investments that were really good for us. We were um, part spender owners. Um, and part of our, to buy into that was performing. And that turned out to be a really good thing for us and financially. And um, but yeah, I, you know, we were managed really well. and But not to the point where they drip feed you. Or, you know, they, you're still, we're still adults. You yeah, know, yeah. Still, we're still got to be trusted with our own, own responsibility and money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but there was, there was help there. And we con- continue to see the same accountant. To look to manage all five of us, and is that something you look back on now and you're sort of glad that that happened? Sounds like it's a good, it was yeah. a, good, a very good decision. Or like yeah, a smart I think play. definitely good. Yeah, I mean, it still looks after us now. So it looks after me now and stuff. So yeah, wish it was a bit more creative. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> nice. You know, a little bit more put something over there. Anyway, yeah, you can't always get that, can you? So when he's the very straight. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly by, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. By yeah. the book. Yeah. By the book. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's written right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to pay your tax, mate. Yeah, Bloody exactly. Got to pay. <laughs> you know. When you when the band uh, disbanded, mm-hmm. did you feel a sense of um, I don't know, like a loss of identity or like a, a bit of a loss of kind of purpose? No, not at all. I, th- I felt. For, we've always said once you're bass player powderfinger, you're always bass player powderfinger, or you know singer powderfinger. So I, I never felt loss of identity. I actually, it was weird. It, it felt like the big weight had been lifted off your shoulder. Oh really? You had no idea that was there. Oh wow! Until, until you take it away. Fuck okay. Like, it's like there was no pressure to go and start writing. No pressure to go in the studio. No pressure to go on a tour again. It was like, wow, I can, I can go on a trip this year, and I don't have to ask five or six people what dates I can go. Away. You know what I mean? All that pressure of not being. And not being able to, con- not being in control of your, of your diary is it was the hardest thing for me. I really, I really got sick of that by the end. So it was just a weight being lifted. You know, I, I really embraced it. it. Was good. That is something that would grind people down. Not having the the ability to make you know those sorts of decisions. You missing know, for family yourself. weddings and stuff like that. You know, just that's shit. You know, missing some family's weddings or or missing your mates something special or missing yeah. your daughter's birthday or you know it, 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 that's part of the job. Yep. You know that, but it after a while gets to you. It got to me anyway. So it would have been something that, uh, yeah, probably had a bit of a part in the disbanding process, I suppose. Absolutely. We were all like, fuck, we need to, yeah, want to go live our control lives of ourselves. More. Yeah. Because yeah. as you said, looking at those other things I was saying you know, with my wife and Bernard's wife, there was times where you just, 
you should have should have been somewhere else. You know, shouldn't have been with the band. Should have been dealing with something personal. Is there something you regret? Um, oh, I don't know if regret is the right word, but you're probably re- conscious yeah. conscious of it that you, you know, just say, like you brought it up a couple of times. Yeah. It's sort of something that oh, something, to play. something I've, I've changed. You yeah, know what I mean? that's, okay. That's you can only. I can't. I don't sort of live in regret. I just live in that I can change it. So I've changed it now. I don't. I don't let any of that stuff go past without being involved. Yeah, legit. Yeah, no, I like it. So when, I guess so after you've after you've you know gone your separate ways and you've kind of got a bit of freedom, you get to go travel, you get mm. to sort of do the things that you haven't always done. But at what point do you kind of sort of scratch that itch of needing to go to to fulfil your day, like to fill mm. your days again and do something sort of fulfilling or go but go to work? Yeah, I I felt that towards the end of the like we finished in two thousand ten. I went overseas. I went fishing. You know, I said yes to the fishing trip that I you know <laughs> barra fishing, and um. And just did those things I hadn't done, you know. Went to Fraser with the mates for, you know, they've been going and missed their last four, three years. Um, and then by the end of the year, I sort of started thinking, well, I better do something now. I looked at a couple of businesses with a couple of friends. Like one was a buying a, um, the Aussie car racing series um, and then looked at buying a printing thing. And then I went, I know nothing about those things. And, <laughs> um, so, and I can't, then I started working on the idea of, of opening a, a music venue. That's, yeah, right. That, so that was probably... Second year out, second year away from the band. Second year out, so I mean, well, it obviously makes sense. You mm. you, you know the industry. When like you've got the, uh, did you have the business now? Like no, I don't, I don't think so. No. no, I still don't know if I do. So. Yeah, right. So how was that? So we're talking about the Trifford here. Yep. That's that's yep. the first venue mm. that you opened. Yep. Arguably the best music venue in Brisbane. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> how did yeah? How did that come about? Yeah, I just started throwing the idea around that. Um, that I wanted to do a bar or something in the in Newstead area. I thought that was a, a prime area. And then I f- sort of came across the space thinking, you know what, I should just do a music venue because something I at least know and I'm, and I'm ready to go back, ready to go back and to be involved in the music industry. And and then, yeah, that, that space came up and then um, got the architect to draw some ideas, talk to Scott because he had Scott Hutchison, as you've had in here. Um, he had, a, I think he had already an approval for an eight or ten-storey building on that site. And, um, so did he own the site at that he time? He owned the site, yeah. yeah right. So, so I gave him the gave him the nice big, colourful drawings. So, and he, he called me on Monday. And said, "Can we do this? Can you do this?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely, we can do that." So, he called you. Asking. I, I gave him the plans yeah. on the on the week on the Friday. Yeah, and then and then he called me on the Monday saying, "Can we meet? And can you do this? Can you make this happen?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely, well, we we can do that." And um, so that's and that started. So yeah, that was a couple of year, another year building or so and. Um, yeah, business now. So I don't know if I've got business now, but um, I, I like the creative part of it of designing and working with the architect and you know, trying to understand what will work and the vibe of the place, I suppose. But um, business is something I'm learning now, yeah, right. We sort of got to, I suppose. At the mm. time, did you know Scott's kind of his love for music? Yeah, I had a fairly good idea. I met Scott a couple of times, and I know Paul, our manager, had been dealing with Scott about a couple of things and discussions about you know doing a festival hall something like that and um so yeah i knew scott was around mm. um yeah so and I've obviously know him a lot better now than i did <laughs> six seven years ago yeah right mm. so how did you kind of navigate that because yeah obviously <coughs> yeah you come from the music industry but you know you're not necessarily uh, some you know whiz bang businessman and mm. you probably also have never run a well you've never run a venue no, before how no, do you how no. do you navigate a chat like you know that those sort of changes in your life and taking on new projects and i think um i was lucky to have a, a very good Manager helped me up, helped me start it. A guy Brett, who was working at Iceworks um, for years, 
and then I brought him across, and then he got poached to another company. But I think just having good people around you is probably the best thing. One of my business partners is the head of Deloitte's in, in Brisbane, so he knows that. So that helps. That helps. Oh, I've got someone looking at the books. The numbers go. Yeah. Numbers go. <laughs> He's nice. very good at it. So yeah, and and the business partners just you know I think the strength is bringing some people who who know certain things that I don't, and I'm um, bringing them to the table. Yeah, that was a big thing that Scott said in his podcast. He was bringing people in that were skilled in areas that he yeah, wasn't. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I've done. Just have people who know stuff that I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And it, leave leave the music and the vibe and the the, you know, the drawing, the how it's supposed to feel to, to me because I've I've seen a thousand rooms in, in, you know, around the world. So yeah. That sort of stuff. And, and, and you know, how to create a, a really good team is something I've learned as well, how to create a really positive, good experience with the team because does give back. That's why people like the Trifford because there's a friendly bunch of people down there working and, and yeah. they love their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you learn about the the team vault like with your yeah, yeah? I guess your direction to create that good team is it something that you learnt from your time with Powderfinger? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, when you look at Powderfinger, it wasn't just the five of us. There's also you know, your management, your agent, your tour manager, your production manager, the whole team. We had forty or fifty bed. You know, hotel rooms when we were on tour. Mm. So there's a big team there. Oh, it must be a production. Jeez. Five, I think we had five semis at one stage, five semis going around. Wow. So you've got a team, and but your core team is one that we used to travel with overseas. And I, I think that I learned that you, you get the best out of people when you talk nicely to people and, and respect. And the old days of yelling at your crew, I don't know where, where, why that was around. <laughs> you know, I just don't understand it. Who <laughs> brought that in? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like watching people, you know, chefs, how they yell at each other. That would drive me nuts. Anyway, um... <laughs> But yeah, I think that's what I think. Personally, I probably did learn that, and as I think as a as a band, we we're pretty we we're already team orientated about our. You know, we didn't fire anyone. You know, no one get no one gets in trouble. Yeah, we just talk it out. If you someone did something wrong, we said, "What happened there, mate? Why'd you give me a guitar that was out of tune? You know, made me look like an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> I was a bloody stitcher. Yeah. What uh, only to fifty thousand people? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> one um one thing I wanted to ask you was you know looking back on your time with the band. Is it something that you look back and say, yeah, I really put everything in, got everything out from that experience? It was sort of like, oh, shit, I probably didn't soak it up as much as I could have. Or like, What's your reflection back on your time? Um, I, I think I got a lot out of it. I feel I feel really privileged, quite honestly, that um, there was a, able, a lot of people have tried to do that and not, and not had the success that we have. So I, I feel really um, privileged and fortunate that I, I got that, you know, because my life would be completely completely different if I didn't so I'm, I'm very I'm very grateful for that that's how I think that's mainly that what fulfills my thoughts about the band I don't have any you know necessarily any there's a couple of regrets but they're just decisions but there's no major regrets like you know c- certain things for me yeah cool because I, I suppose yeah I, there's plenty of things that just happen in day-to-day life that you look back on and say oh shit you know that was a an event or a wedding or something that happened he's like oh it didn't happen Get as much out of that as I should yeah. have, but um, yeah, because when you, you guys were doing it, obviously so often, mm. yeah, I thought there might have been, you know, gigs or something. You'd be like, oh, didn't really soak that up as yeah, much. Maybe. as Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's just hard. I, yeah, I don't really. Yeah, it's, it's you don't think about it. I don't know. Yeah. I just, well, you've I got think s- about the good ones. It's how like many studio albums have you got? Seven, uh, seven, 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 seven. Like you've got seven. Yeah, incredible albums to remind you of. You know, when you go, you book a holiday, right? You know, when you book some time up going up the coast, you don't think about the days it was raining there. 
Well, I did. I had a week off last week. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, right, okay. <laughs> and yeah, it rained right. every day. But when you think it next year, you're booking, you're going, oh, you, I always think if sunshine. I'm booking, it's going to be sunshine yeah. and beautiful. It's going to be amazing. That, and that's pretty much how yeah, I look yeah. back. And I don't, yeah. remember, I don't remember the, the really shit geeks. I well, why would you? you try just, not to. Yeah, you only remember the yeah. guitars. There's too many of them. There's too many of them. You don't remember the rainy days. When the guitar wasn't tuned. The Italy one. Yeah, the 15. The 15 Yeah, that sounds like it was really the main sore point, buddy. In a metal club. It was awful. Have you been back? No. I've been back to Italy, but. Oh, not, yeah. not playing. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I um. So you guys, I think one of the biggest things that I get out of you know, music or artistic, um, you know, ex- expression, I suppose, is the ability to be. It's good for the soul, good for the mind. Is that? Did you did you feel that like in your time as a musician that you were able to kind of really express yourself and it was just a really good outlet? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I, I love performing. I think performing is a is a really a fun expression and getting it together with four other musicians or whatever. Um, yeah, and and the, and the feeling of putting all all the other feelings when you're writing a song with the band and it comes together, something just clicks and you, you get that goosebump thing. You go, and that's Got him. The, that's yeah. this we're in the right direction here. <laughs> so, so. This is a good one. Yeah, so <laughs> those those sort of things are really yeah you do lap them up and. Those How important do you reckon it is for people to ha- to have that to find that like in there? It's really important, you know, whether it's a golf swing or catching a fish or, or kicking a footy. You know, it's good to have that. It's important to me um, um, to have consistently have that happen for some reason. You know, certain things just make me. For me, if I go to the Fortitude Music Hall or something, I see a band and, and like, okay, that's bloody awesome. That's your fulfilment and now. That's, that's yeah, to seeing to seeing you create it and work with the team to create it and then. To, to see it action, you know, and you sort of that's for fulfilment for me. Yeah. And see cool. happy people walking out with a big smile on the face makes me happy. I think it's important. It is to me. I can't talk for everyone, but I think um, once you've had it, it's something you probably do chase. And is that, yeah. I suppose, that's where you're talking about, like in the design sort of phase of like the Triffid mm. and you know, I'd imagine Fortitude Musical mm. as well. That's your ability now to kind of express yourself yeah, absolutely. artistically, yeah. I suppose. I've sort of, I think, you know, at the moment I'm sort of going, Doing these budgets and stuff, and go. This is not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a a fucking <laughs> it's a fucking accountant. Where's my accountant? <laughs> Where's my accountant? God, fucking hell. Uh, yeah, it drives me nuts. That stuff. I'll be honest. Got to um, play to your strengths. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Don't trust me with accounts. Um, so yeah, to me, as soon as I can be creative again, it or something that, like last week, I had a think tank for the Trifford team, and that's a fun day for me because it's getting expressing, getting good ideas. Spitball it, just throw it on the wall. Getting ideas, and that is a really good day for me. Much better than the day of budgeting and forecasts in yeah. 2020, you know. And is that something you kind of design, like that sort of a think tank mm. kind of scenario, like you yeah. do it your way? Or yeah. is it like we're yeah, just Yeah, no, we just get in the room and Spitball. Have, have my gen- general manager sort of run it, but we have a, we have a pro- program that we like to get out of, like you know, don't get caught up in everything. But, yeah, those ideas, you don't have good ideas until you sit down and talk to your team. And, and I think when you incorporate your team in the ideas or decisions, they get a bit of ownership over it and... Um, you know, get a bit more out of them. I think more people should go to like venues like the Trifford. And I was saying before this, like I went to the Outpost on mm-hmm. Saturday night and I saw an artist that I'd never seen before that I'd spent mm. all of Sunday explaining to, to right. Ed about about how incredible it was. But I'd never quite heard, a creature. Right. I'd, nev- I'd never heard of Bob Log the Third before. My house, my YouTube, and yeah, it's out of control. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, right. Never seen anything like it. He right. had a f- fucking toaster on the stage right. in the life of Brad. He was cooking toast. Oh, He's wow, up there okay. saying, "I'm making toast." He was flicking toast yeah. out to everyone. Unbelievable. Oh. But I'd never heard of him before. 
went with an open mind. I was like, well, we'll see how this is. See how it goes. Blew my mind. Yeah, nice. I was like, this is great. But I don't think enough people are doing that, are just like going and seeing stuff. Seeing that, something creative. Yeah. Something that, different. Or that they've never heard of or just going out to, you Yeah, know. well, I'll admit that I've never gone and done that sort of stuff. I don't think, I, well, I went to that thing with my mate Sla oh, a couple of years ago now. That was in West End, wasn't it? You came that night. What was that? Boogaloo. Remember Bo- Boogs Boogaloo. was doing the rap? Oh, Boogsy. No, yeah. I wasn't there, but yeah. Was, yeah. yeah but um, yeah, no, I've never been to the Trifford. Right. I've been there for a feed. And a couple of schooners. Yeah, we have had a couple of schooners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we have had. But yeah, I, I should. Yeah, I should make it a thing to go to a, a live. Have you walked in the room? Have you looked? In, did you look in? The I room? think we did. Yeah, I think I have poked my head yeah, in there. Cool. Yeah, because it's the hangar. Cool. It's, yeah, it's, it's hangar. sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's all, cool it, it's uh, yeah, it's arguably the best, mm. the, the best sounding venue I think in Brisbane. I've been to. Like it's just no, nailed. Thank you. It's no, awesome. It's, yeah, we spent a bit of effort. Your time and getting that right, but also you stumbled upon the uh, the shape of it that mm. just makes it mm. perfect. Yeah, isn't it's cool, it? it's isn't like, it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it's rad. When I walked in there, I went, this would be cool. You know, you could just tell. I could see it. Yeah. yeah. So, and you've been involved pretty heavily with obviously the Fortitude Music yes. Hall, which is yep. uh, yeah, I only got finished last year. Yeah, we've been open six months, just gone, just on six months. So how's that all going? Great, really good. Um, the response has been fantastic with the industry, and um, and the punters like it. Most of it, um, you know, you get some Facebook messages. You can't please everyone, unfortunately. But, you know, anyway, um, that is people, so some, true, though. Some people shouldn't go out. Yeah, that's what I can say. <laughs> how do you? Yeah, how do you? Does that you got to block that shit out, don't you? Well, you know, it it was an older crowd. I think it was sixty. Average age was sixty five, seventy. You go, just don't go out. Yeah, yeah, just stay home, home. Gramps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're Scott Hutchinson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you're yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> different, different kettle of fish. What do you reckon about um, people? Uh, I mean, you in you know when you guys were just cranking, would you did you have phones in your faces like when you were playing? Like, yeah, some t- towards did, the end, not at start though. No. Not what do you make of that? It's weird. I, Don't you think it's just ridiculous? Like, yeah. who's watching that shit back? No one watches it back, do they? It also sounds terrible on a phone. <laughs> I mean, if Don't I've done do that it. again. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I've done it just to show someone that they're missing out. Yeah. That's it. And then it's gone. I'd never watch it again. Because it sort of it sort of plays into the hand now of people not living in the moment. Yeah. Doesn't it? It's mm. really peculiar because it's fucking across the board. It's mm. at all like I went to a Foo Fighters concert a couple of years ago and everyone's there. Yeah. I'm just like, the fuck is the point of doing that? Even my wife was doing it. I was like, can you stop doing that, please? You're yeah. never going to watch that. Never going to watch it again. No. Um, uh, there was one gig at the Trifford where it was re- asked to no phones, and it was awesome. There's not one of those the whole night. Who was that? The artist asked yeah, the for artist no phones. No Who phones. was it? Oh, um, David. Oh, it was um, Gillian Welsh and Gillian Welsh, a country artist from. Yeah. from from America, yeah, right. And her husband, and they asked. That's a good call. It was, was there good feedback from that? Fantastic! I loved it because it was just you. Everyone was calling him. He's one of the best, like, bluegrass guitarists in the world, um, David Rawlings, and it was just amazing. Not having flashes and people put their fucking hands up in the air. Um, what do you really think good. people? What do you think people do that? I, I don't. I don't get it. But you know, I have got kids, and they. I don't understand half of what they do. <laughs> you are right, but you never, you do, you yeah, never show, you up. never show people like you don't show people the video. Like oh, I was there. Like if you didn't have the video to show them, <laughs> oh, look, they look, wouldn't believe you. That's off my phone. Yeah, yeah. that it's, is me. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> but it reminds me of um, oh god, I've just gone blank. But the, the new um guitar or the current uh, guitarist and, and singer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm. I remember um. He had a solo and he just dropped his guitar. He pulled his phone out and he just started filming the audience because they're all just there. Yeah, just, right. just you know, and he's just making a point of it, like "fuck you, I'm not Talking playing, the, uh, I'm not playing the solo." Like this is what yeah. it looks like for me. So, it's weird. It's so talking weird. about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you're talking about how yeah you won the hottest 100 twice. Yeah, 99, 2000. Well, what 
What was what were those moments like? Yeah, were you guys awesome. all together on the tins, just going, "Fuck, are we going to oh, get this?" I, or? We we were playing. We were at Big Day Out and second one, and um, in Sydney because it was it used to be on Australia Day. I think that's yeah, yep. yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So we got told, and so but we were told that we could announce it over the over the. That would have been epic. Know, hey? That's good. Yeah, I think Bernard's quote was, "It's the biggest music poll in the world." And we just came in number one, so that makes us the biggest band in the world. <laughs> well, that's what I think too. And like, yeah, I've so. made a point of <laughs> writing. <laughs> I've underlined no, it here. I made, a, I made a point of writing down bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Fatboy Slim, Rage Against the Machine, Pearl Jam, U2, and Coldplay. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, oh, it was back to back years, ninety nine and two thousand. Yeah. yeah, but like that's that's huge. And I think Bernard's even won one himself. I think he uh, won for Wish You Well. Oh yeah, he did too. too. So yeah. Three runs on the board. How was that when when he went out on his own? Like, was it was that good. Really proud of it. It was awesome. Yeah, right. I love the record. Yeah, it was, it was such a beautifully breakup record. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a pretty tough, weird period in the band. Yeah, because he sort of disengaged, as you would naturally do. He was on tour and we were riding at home, and it was wasn't the easiest thing to negotiate. But we got through it. I bet it would have been weird for him on tour and stuff, mm. sort of being not having like, the backup, not having yeah. the team there, the mates here, yeah, having a different band rock up. Yeah, yeah. no, you know what? It took a. It was a bit of a riding period, weirdness, because the hardest thing was when he came back in. We were going, we don't want it to sound like Burner's record, so it made things really quite tough in the in the in the room because there was a natural way to do things, but he just did that. So we were trying to pull this way, and I'm completely guilty of it. Myself, I was probably one of the winners who really pushed it to make sure it was sounded different from Burns. Was like an ego thing, saying "fuck, we don't want to be anything." No, to do. not not an ego thing. Nothing to do with ego. It was more about an artistic thing that we wanted to try to challenge ourselves and make sure they're two different products, rather than just slipping into the easy path of yeah, going, "Oh, yeah. we'll just play behind whatever you're doing." That's more. It was definitely not an ego thing. It wasn't yeah. like, "fuck you" or anything. It was like, yeah, yeah. We have to. We we thought as, because of Burns Records been so successful, I thought and probably Hoggy as well thought we needed it to go this way. To be creative and be different. From it's those. so interesting because that's such a harder way of doing it. I suppose oh, it's in a, a stupid way. thing. That we're, we're stupid. But how do you yeah. how do you how do you raise that conversation? Like, oh, it's just like we try not to do it the same way, but as what we. It makes sense. It, I can un- completely understand. It's it's as I said, it's still about it's an artistic thing. You try to challenge yourselves and write a different way. Yeah. Because Burn wasn't there as well for, for some of it, not not all of it. Just times he'd be away, and you don't just sort of sit go. Oh, I'm just going to go fishing because when it comes, you know, you've got to still work. And um, so the, the the challenge was to try to create a different soundscape for the band, and and it sort of it was a different difficult period because it's also then sort of shut burn it out a little bit, which is what wasn't the intent. Yeah, the intent, right. The intent was to. So it would have taken a fair bit of managing all of that. Yeah, it took a bit. It took a bit Did of he feel a bit like um, ostracised to a degree? I think so. I th- and and it wasn't a it wasn't a personal thing. It was never anything personal. But love the guy. Um, but yeah, maybe it was just a writing thing that you're trying to create something a bit different. Yeah. And Pull the band in different ways probably didn't need to be pulled. So well, I guess, and then and then you probably go down the path that we were talking about earlier um, about um, sort of trying, like trying too, too hard, hard to go exactly in trying one way. too hard. It wasn't natural. Whereas yeah. you guys have got like pretty deep roots, mm. you know, in a, in, mm. a, in a really you know distinct style. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely when he was on that, it definitely made a difference to how we did things, you know. Um, and um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the easiest. Well, with though, like when you're bringing out a new album and, you know, you've obviously had success with the one previous. Was there ever times where, you know, you guys like, we'll pull the trigger on this one and think, fuck, how's this going to go? Mm. Or was it sort of like you were validated by all your mates and your managers and stuff and you're like, this is going to fucking kill it? No, it's pretty much like that most of the time. How's it going to go? Yeah. I mean, I think we, Odyssey, we had a pretty good idea because 
my happiness was, I think my kind of scene got picked up by something by MI2 film soundtrack, and then my kind of uh, my, that's my right. Mm. We, weren't that? we weren't in the movie though. We thought we were going to be in the movie, but anyway. What was it? What was what was the movie? Uh, my, uh, Mission Impossible, Impossible Two. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, cruisy. Yes, cruisy. Nice. Um, <laughs> that's not his nickname. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Sorry. Um, uh, well, I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, you're, talking about, on, you're, talking about the, you're talking about the. You're talking about the. Getting the record out and saying oh, yeah. "fuck" is going to be any good. You just don't know. And half the time, you know, um, you put our single thinking, "hope it goes all right." Was there ever a nervous thing where you're like, "Well, we really day, need this one"? Or oh, day you come was a nervous one. Like we didn't think that we thought that was a bit of a risk. Really, so did the management and record company thought this was a risky single, but it worked. So yeah, right. Um, you don't. You just don't know. You know everyone's got their own opinion, and that's so. a big thing too. I mean, so many people with any sort of decision, it's sort of yeah, just. You just got to back yourself, don't you? Because it's yep. so easy to say, "Oh, it's easier not to do it." And just, you know. Well, also, I think it'd be vastly different if you know, because you've got the team there. You mm. got, you know, you got each other's back. It's like, "Fuck it, we're in this together." You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, if it's yeah. if it's, if it's we're all going down together, boys. But if yeah. it was just if you're on your own, yeah. it'd be far more difficult yeah. to like. Frightening. This, this frightening. is me. Yeah, you're frightening. Yeah, right. What do you make of the um, party scene these days you know being a venue owner and seeing um seeing seeing young people go out and partying and obviously mm. brisbane has got you know and most states of, of australia have got you know really strict laws and behavioral changes and all that sort of stuff you know we're talking mental health i suppose yeah. conversation around this like what do you make of i guess you know the party scene now and and, and the way kids out there are, are doing it yeah it's interesting i mean i i'm not a Go back to the laws. I'm not a big fan of the lockout laws. I never was. I think it doesn't solve anything. There was no evidence to support that those laws work. They all they do is shut venues down and shut clubs down. Uh, oh look, I don't. I party scene. I'm not part of it, so I'm too old for it. Um, but yeah, I think I see kids just they come really late to shows and they leave after the show. I, I don't know what they're doing outside those. You know, they're not they're not hanging the venues. Um, I don't really know. I, I don't know if, you know, if drugs are too easy. I don't know what the deal is. Mm. It's pretty scary, you know. I've got young daughters, twin daughters of 15. You know, they go to Splendour, I say, don't even take a Tic Tac off anyone. I don't care if it's in a Tic Tac box. That, yeah. that scares me. That yeah, sort of right. stuff. And, but I'm a I'm I'm believer of testing drugs and yep. um, whatever keeps kids, kids alive, I'm for it. Yeah, um, right. Um, yeah, I, I don't think throwing over... Overstating laws and having lockout laws is, a, is an answer. I think having safe precincts is the probably best way to go. Making making the valley a precinct, it is a precinct. At least when you go there, you should know you're safe. But if mm. it's policed and, and CCTV'd and you know that it's controlled, I think it's probably a better way to do it than than the latter. Because I suppose you know the conversation around <laughs> substance abuse and you know whatnot, like it's it's going to happen anyway, right? Mm. It's it's never going to change. But mm. yeah, obviously. The way that we, I suppose, address it, and you know, like you say, you're you're a big fan of harm minimisation, I yeah. suppose. But you know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, ice, what that. You know, thankfully, I have no contact with that. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I'm sure I know it's there, but that's a frightening thing because it's so apparently so cheap, yeah, easy to get, destroys communities, destroys families. You know, like well, that's what hurts rural Australia so much. Rural Australia. Look it's Warwick um, and places like that, oh, just like huge. Longreach and Long, yeah. stuff. It's, oh well, I think it was Charleville. They were mm. going to have the. Um, only rural um, rehab centre yeah. in Australia because it's just so rife mm. out there. Uh, but it's a it's a strange one because it's sort of 
like alcohol's going up again. Mm. Like the tax on alcohol's going up. Mm. And like I was talking to my parents about this the other night. I was like, look, like the the drug scene, it's yeah, it's not going away like we've sort of yeah. spoken about. It's only gonna get more prevalent due to the fact it's like so much cheaper than alcohol now. Yeah. So it's yeah. like a really weird, hard time because yeah, we're obviously sitting here trying to have conversations about mental yeah. health and people to look after themselves. But what people are doing now for their I don't know, not to their nine to five and their breakout, sort of their mm. blade on the weekend, you know, used to be a Cutting a grog with the boys, and now mm. it's you know that's changing. Changed, yeah. And like, how do we? Education's the only thing you can do. Yeah. About, especially, I mean, ice has to be. You have to educate people about that. Like, you know, kids and schools need to be educated about that. Yeah. And party drugs, what you know, festivals and all that sort of, you know, what can happen. Um, interesting. You know, I'm not sure if you guys will support me on this, but I was in um, Denver and and um, California before Christmas, two of the states that legalized marijuana in, in America. It's awesome. Not not because I want to come and smoke pot. <laughs> yeah. It's just really relaxed. Yep. Places are relaxed, and you can smell it in the lines. It's not a criminal thing. Yeah, people having vape pot, and you go in. It's like going to an Apple store. Yeah, That's how, it's like they're high end. They're not like sort of, sort of <laughs> guy with dreadies and you know trying to sell you stuff. It's a really big market. It's huge. Do you think Australia will get to that point? Uh, I don't know, but well, got to be good for Queensland, be good for tourism, wouldn't it? <laughs> be awesome. But well, the Great Barrier Reef is not going to be doing no, the job no, for much no, longer. No. So, <laughs> but smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how much more chilled the place would be yeah. you know, if, if people going out and having a bit of grass. It, well, it, the, it is an interesting one because, uh, yeah, I've had this conversation with my wife actually um, that, yeah, there's like a, a massive yeah, misconception around what marijuana does to people mm. and it's sort it's of a like... Ga- it's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> it's a gateway drug. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but it's sort of um, like you, like, you know, I've been heavily intoxicated before and I'll, I'll see what alcohol has done mm. to people and has done to a lot of people like it's yeah That's hurt a great. lot of my family members i mean right. I, you know i've a lot of plenty of rosses out there that have been alcoholics um but you know i think i'd rather someone be hitting a bit of hooter rather than drinking their life away a, a fair bit more from yeah. foot up, sort of what i've seen mm. i think it's sort I, of I agree i think you know I, you don't have you don't see families breaking up and domestic violence over hooter <laughs> do you know i mean it's obviously topical now it's really yeah. really be that is true. About. So you know, if you if you took it on those approach and, and alcohol fueled violence, which is an issue, which we're trying to fix and combat, maybe a hood is not a bad, yeah. not a bad thing. To not many people that have been sort of think stoned about. and gone and beat someone up. No. Yeah. Alcohol it's is not the same thing. Alcohol is like arguably the worst mm. out of the lot, really, because mm. it, it it just trigger points. Well, oh if it was invented God. today, it'd be illegal. Mm. There's no way that it would have be. it. And oh, you're either and there's, like no and there's, chance. It's kind of it's like fifty fifty down the middle. You're either like a really happy go lucky drunk, or mm. you're just a fuckhead, miserable. Yeah, yeah. and it's and <laughs> just a fucking. Well, it's true. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, Everyone listening right. to this, just have a bit of a think about that. Which side <laughs> of the fifty fifty you're on? Well, we talk about you know self assessment, you yeah. know, mm. a lot in what That's we're true. doing and, and and looking introspect introspectively. Got mm. that out, and actually kind of looking at your relationship, you know, with different substances mm. and how it's affecting you and. Being honest with yourself, mm. and I don't think a lot of. I mean, look, we've got lockout laws now. Obviously, mm. there's there's, if, there's always going to be dickheads out there. Yeah, you know, then there's always going to be, you know, dickheads who think they can fight whether there's alcohol or not. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it's really about looking at your relationship with this kind of stuff, and you know, and being honest. Being honest, Shit, yeah. yeah. Mm. I don't think enough people do that. Mm. No, I agree with you. Well, mate, I'm, I'm definitely satisfied. It's been a buddy. You've it's, it's such an awesome insight, mate, JC. It's oh, cool. been really, really cool. Oh, it's been fun, guys. Appreciate um, your time. No worries, it, hope you uh, enjoyed as much as we did. It was a lot easier. I thought oh, this is going to be. I didn't is know it, what to expect. Is but it? Easy oh, to talk to you guys. Yeah, sweet. 
Is it like, like final question, like Powderfinger aside, you personally, would you like to play with the band again? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Fuck yeah. Really? Yeah, totally. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, we had Hoggy's 50th, Bernard and I, and Darren's in Melbourne, Cogsy's way, but we got Hoggy guitar for his birthday, you know. What'd Just, you get him? Oh, it's a Gibson Firebird. Yeah, wow. Yeah, beautiful thing. Um, yeah, of course. Of course I'd like to play again. Yeah. There's, there's, I don't want to do the travelling and all that stuff again, you know, the whole machine thing, but I'd love to play you know, a show again. You're probably in a prime position too because you just – I don't know what the time frame is that you leave it, but – Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that time frame and then you just, bam, here we go again. Who knows? Yeah. It, it's just one of the things, you know, still, we still have a great relationship as friends. So you know, That's we, awesome. And we said no, but we still are saying no, but, um, you know, I would – You personally? I'd love to play because yeah. these guys are still playing. I'm not. Yeah. So Hoggy's in the church, Bernard's still doing Bernard, Darren is doing his arc thing and – I'm just watching people do it. So, so when's the last time you picked up a bass? Oh, I do the Predators with Hoggy. Okay. We're, we're three-piece with the original drummer. Righto. Um, the we're Predators. Just, we're, just, we're just a bit of uh, a you know, part-time band. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'd, I think we had a gig last year. We normally play one gig a year. Yeah, so, right. so that's my that's <laughs> just my, that's just, my just, to, just to keep it ticking just over. Keep it ticking yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah well, definitely. Because I, you know, I said I still feel 10 years now. It'll be 10 years this year that I haven't played on big stage. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, of course I do it. How exciting. You might be at the, you might be at the Fortitude Musical. Oh, we do 10 nights. Yeah. <laughs> do you reckon it'll ever happen again? Don't know. It doesn't. No one's talking about it, like, in, in terms of what's going to happen. We've got, this year, we've got 20-year um, anniversary of Odyssey Number no. 5 coming out. And on the back of that, the really good news is that you can hear it first here. <laughs> we've got um, a record of unreleased material that we saved, not B-sides. True shit. That we said some stuff that just didn't, whether it, another, it didn't fit the tone of the record or we just didn't think it was right at the yeah, time. Cool. But we've kept and we've got a full record of new stuff coming out. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so that that'll be later this year. Just in time for Christmas. Good stocking filler. Just if you need any ideas. Oh, that's fantastic. JC, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Good luck you guys. Well done. Cheers. If you're a fan of Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademark.com.